0: Welcome. Welcome to another episode of The Impact of AI, sponsored by AI Time Journal and supported by Wilda, Women Leaders in Data and Artificial Intelligence. Each week, we explore how AI and cognitive technologies impact us daily, both professionally and personally. For those of you whom I've not met yet, my name is Melissa Drew, and I will be your host for this week's podcast. Each week, we discuss how the impact of AI Affects us both personally and professionally and today we are fortunate enough to have somebody in the judicial branch of the Arizona Maricopa county. Michelle Donovan she's a data integrity analytics administrator for the judicial branch of Arizona and Maricopa county. Now she began her data driven career with the Arizona Supreme Court, which i'm sure we'll get into a lot later. But at Maricopa County today, she serves as the research manager, business analyst director, and now leads adult probation, juvenile probation, and superior court data analyst teams. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Melissa. Oh, this is gonna be great because I don't think we often think about AI in our local court systems. So one of the things before we dive into what you're doing today and how we think AI is going to impact us in the future, We always recognize, because I stalk everybody on LinkedIn now, is that nobody's journey is ever the same. And where you started your beginning of your career path is never where you tend to end up. And what was unique of note about your LinkedIn page is you started with a bachelor's in in English and communications, um, a master's in communications, and then you went on to get a doctorate in philosophy in communications. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a story here that helps us understand how you start early in your career with the communications component and then now you're in the data component side. Absolutely. So
1: I uh, started my master's program with a, a thesis idea already. I knew exactly what I wanted to do my thesis topic on and <laughs> got through my coursework. I talked to my advisor and I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, that is a dissertation topic. You will never get out of here if you, if you do that. So I thought, well, I guess I have to go get a doctorate then. And, um, and that doctorate program then led me to answering that burning question that I had. And it was in the space of, um, of child abuse and, adult communication behaviors and how those formative experiences in childhood really impact uh, the, the behaviors that we have throughout our lives and, and our attitudes towards uh, certain behaviors as well. And so um, about a semester into my my doctoral program, I realized that academia is not really where I wanted to stay. Um, it's, you know, we're all interested in doing a lot of and in being very impactful in our communities, but I felt like with a dissertation topic like that, um, I could probably have more of an impact somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So when I graduated, I was really just looking for research jobs, and in retrospect, I probably should have been using different uh, terms, right? I should have been looking for business intelligence analyst, or maybe I could be looking for data science or something like that. It was getting started at that time. Um, it wasn't super prevalent, but it was out there, but I didn't know any better. There wasn't many, there wasn't much on my, uh, in my world to to guide me as far as what kinds of jobs to be looking for. So I looked for research and that's where I found a position that was looking specifically at data and research around the dependent children in Arizona. Hmm. Those are the children that are um, in in the court's care um, and are often in foster care. And so that's that's how I got my foot in the door with the Arizona Supreme Court was was uh, using the the data and analysis that I had learned throughout my my graduate programs and applying it in in that real world context, which is exactly what I was trying to to find something to do.
0: In your current job at the Superior Court of Arizona in Maricopa County, you are the analytics director, and what we've discussed previously is that you're using. Data visualization software, and I've heard you use the terms, you know, statistics and um, data and analytics. And it never occurred to me—I don't know why—but it never occurred to me to connect the dots between AI, data, and analytics and our local, you know, judicial systems. So I thought, absolutely, you've got to come up. You've got to, you know, you and I need right. to talk a little, a lot more about this. So tell us more about what you do today.
1: Well, we still do a lot of the foundational descriptive statistics that people are asking for on a regular. When legislation comes up, they want to know, OK, if we make this change, how many people are going to be affected? How much uh, funding are we going to need if we implement this new project or program? So there's a lot of descriptive uh, information that we're providing. But we're also uh, doing some forecasting as far as caseloads, you know, what we're expecting in the different areas of our jurisdiction. and. Mm-hmm where we might need to change over time, caseloads and case types change. So when the economy crashed in 2008, there were a lot of foreclosures, as you probably remember, those all go through the courts. Um, Unfortunately, there's a lack of social programs during that time as well. And so there's a lot more dependencies that are coming into the courts. And so what do you do with, with that? influx of a certain case type and and how can you reassign uh, judges or staff or or, or just make adjustments so that you can really serve the needs of the entire community. And so uh, it's been interesting because with that information from 2008 when COVID came along and we had no idea what to expect, but we knew that there might be something, we did use that as a model for what we might be able to expect moving forward. Would we be seeing the same kinds of things? Would there be the same economic impacts? And Soon after uh, the pandemic really got started, we saw that it was being handled very differently because there were a lot of different social safety nets that were being put into place. And so we couldn't really use that for a model. But since we had explored it in the past, we could also apply it to these these new situations. But we're really moving on to wanting to look into some predictive analytics, but being very, very, very careful about how we implement them, as as everybody is and should be. one of the things that was, uh, well, that is a current project that's underway is to explore in family cases. So divorce, paternity, um, custody, those kinds of cases, what we might be able to anticipate, which cases would require more resources than your average case. And um, we know that family cases are exhausting for everyone involved. They are not fun. They, they, uh, they require a lot of resources in and of themselves, but there are some that, uh, that are really require a lot more. And so if we could identify what those cases were early on, maybe mm-hmm. the information that they provided filing, what could we do to give them those resources earlier so that maybe it didn't get out of hand? Maybe they were getting the support that they needed all along. Maybe they are, there's. Um, you know, there's there's more oversight or interventions or, um, you know, more frequent check-ins to make sure that they are being handled so that in the end, the, the constituents get more of what they need. The people who are filing the paperwork, they get what they need. And maybe they don't have to come back as often. Um, that's one of the things that we we look at as far as, as the, the end variable that we're trying to predict is, which cases are gonna come back a lot of times after they've, after there's been a decision made on the case, but maybe they're not happy with it, or maybe it doesn't actually meet their needs, or they didn't consider all of the different things that would happen in their lives over the next 10 years while their children are still growing. And um, or 15 years or 18 years as their children are getting bigger, and so um, that's that's one really exciting opportunity. That if we can demonstrate some movement where that's concerned, we might be able to apply that same mentality to other case types and see what other uh, what other variables might help us to es- expect which cases need
0: need more support at the beginning. So I'm thinking that if the predictive analytics you're working through can help. Reallocate resources and better understand the the complexity of those cases. Then, wouldn't some of the indirect results also be better scheduling, um, better better time to schedule, you know, capacity ratios, um, which could potentially mean more more cases on the docket, getting through more cases per year? Have you started to see something similar?
1: That's a that's a great question and that is something that we're looking at. One thing that I will say is all of our analytics are a little bit complicated because not one of them focuses on money. So we don't have that very clear output of well this this many dollars, or this can gain us this many dollars that's never part of our equation and so we have to be really creative about what we are trying to anticipate or what we are trying to improve about the whole process, but that's absolutely part of part of the um, expectation. So in addition to the number of post-decree petitions that we're looking at, which are, you know, how many times people come back after a judicial decision has already been made, mm-hmm. thing that we're looking at is the number of days that pe- it takes to get to that initial decision. And so when you look at things like if um, one or both parents have attorneys, does that make it, faster or longer to get through the process. And whether it's faster or longer, how many judicial resources are really being handled? How many do you have to have more hearings because people need a little bit more guidance or they don't quite understand what's going on, or they may not have realized that they needed to file this form? The legal system is complicated. That's why people go to law school because it, there's a lot of <laughs> to it. And so trying to figure out if there. are You know, if that is the piece that is maybe a bottleneck in the whole system, but we know that well over 90% of our family cases have at least one unrepresented party um, Mm. or self-represented party, then what do we, what can we do? What can we do about that? Um, And so that's, that's one piece of it. Another thing that, that there has been research done, and we're trying to figure out how we can incorporate that into some of these efficiencies and also, uh, increased quality because it's not just about turning people in and out we also want to make sure that when they get to that endpoint, that they have the quality product that we are providing which is a decision and um so part of that is also how many judges end up having to touch the case you know when you've got something very uh near and dear to your heart your own family and or um you know there's there's a lot of other things you know your freedom right when you have these things that are so impactful to you um what do you want what is the impact of having multiple judges that are making decisions throughout the life of the case versus one who really gets to know and understand the, the nuances of, of a particular case?
0: Mm-hmm. I, I understand that a, a lot of the work that you're doing, some of the, the KPIs, the key performance indicators is how much work hours were saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see that a lot, the, you know through automation, we've been able to save X amount of work hours um, we've been able to increase the the accuracy and the confidence of the data, which is making the better informed decisions. Have as a as an indirect product of all that, how are you? Are you just taking all those hours that you've saved, and now you're just doing more work? Um, I, I'm curious because I, I'm just really curious by that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great
1: question because it is, it is a little bit dangerous to say. Wait, we saved all this time. Do we, so do we have people that are sitting around doing nothing? The reality is that in government, you tend to never have quite enough staff, right? And, and maybe industries, but there's always more that could be done. And so it's really repurposing that. So now that we are saving time so that we're not entering the same information in two or three places, we're entering place, we get to take all of that extra time that you were doing it. And now we're asking you to look at the analytics, to look at the reports or to process these cases faster. So there's not as much of a backlog. So you're not, it's not taking you weeks to enter something you're saving dozens of hours a week. And so you can get, you can get people, um, you know, into the system faster so that they can get a resolution faster.
0: Mm -hmm. I think what was also rather unique and that, really a lot of folks not understanding the breadth of where, you know, the analytics can can be used is there was references of you looking at uh, disparity analysis, uh, mm-hmm. references, um, um, sub- Oh, uh, facilities. It was anticipated space and facilities over the next five years. Like I wouldn't have even thought about that with the court system. Cause you pretty mm-hmm. much always to me are in the same, same building, you know, <laughs> Right.
1: Well, and that's, that's exactly the problem is that yes, we have built buildings and it takes many, many years to get the funding and the plans to build an extra building, but (laughs) know that if you've got more and more people joining your community, right have that many more filings and that many more cases that need to be heard, which means you need more judges and you need more staff. And so if you anticipate that and you expect that you're always going to need more, we do need to plan at least five years ahead. Mm-hmm. What is the space? What will the space needs be? Because we can't wait until they're already there. Or right. Else- even if we, if the governor says, okay, fine, we'll give you this many more judges and we're, I'm gonna appoint them and you've got this much you know, more work, we don't have a place to put them. And it's not just about finding an office, right? You can't just say, oh, go be remote. You've got, if you, <laughs> have, you have, you have to be in a courtroom. It has to be outfitted, outfitted with technology that will help you to share exhibits, that will help you to um, make sure that interpreters have all of the the, the equipment that they need mm-hmm. It can get an official record so that that can be recorded. it can be transcribed it can be translated um that there's there's a bailiff and there's security that's present and people have a right to be heard and to confront their accuser or confront their you know whatever or confront their um the, the perpetrator and so there's all of these expectations that are constitutionally demanded but yeah the the facility space so that is that is kind of an afterthought a lot of times but it was interesting one, because I was able to think more spatially than I usually do in, in the projects that I'm doing and, and really explore uh, an entirely different way of, of um, forecasting and, and what the data needs look like.
0: It sounds like all your data needs is really supporting the business case so that you can get these decisions made. Um, my, my, my guess is that because you didn't have some of these you know, cognitive technologies five years ago, and is it safe for me to assume that you're able to build these business cases with a much stronger impact? And are you finding out as a result, you're getting more action than maybe you were five years ago? That's a
1: great question. So we have made a concerted effort to iterate and mm-hmm. to ensure that we're always you know, making progress of some sort but we deal with the same things that it sounds like a lot of other organizations are dealing with too as far as data quality. So you have this amazing product and you want to share with people the insights that you've gleaned and maybe they don't trust the data. So then you have to go back and figure out why they don't trust the data and figure out how we can make that up and how we can make those improvements. And so it's it's been um it's been slower than I would like because I'm impatient and I would like to see all of these things implemented. But it has So um, it, yes, absolutely. So the the short answer to your question is yes, we are definitely seeing more use of the data and data-driven decision-making. We still have a long way to go. I'd really like a lot more reliance on the data and a lot more, um, some of those more inferential statistics and questions being asked about is this effective, not just tell me how many of these people graduated uh, drug court, or how many people uh, completed their requirements for veterans court, like those are important questions. But what I want to know is, I, I want to be able to do those analyses that say, is this better than if they hadn't gone through that program? Is it more impactful? And even though the most important thing is how it affects our individual people's lives and who are on the other end of those decisions in the courtroom, uh, does it also help us, like you said earlier, to make sure that that they get what they need the first time around, and so we're not we're not relitigating something over and yeah. no- over.
0: You know, you just recently um, you just recently centralized three teams to create a data integrity analytics department yes. um, I'd love to hear more about that it has yes this
1: department is something that I've been thinking about and talking to leadership about for for quite a while um, there's been two other teams I was originally with the Superior Court team. And there's two other research teams, one in adult probation and one in juvenile probation. And occasionally we would have an opportunity to collaborate or work together. And it was so interesting that two other groups that were ultimately in the same organization would have very different resources and vastly different approaches okay. to the same questions. And it was interesting because there wasn't any one clear winner of all three of them as far as the number of resources or the type of responsibilities that they even had. And so it was my goal to uh, bring everybody together so that we could collaborate and support each other a little bit more. When you've got a team that's maybe only uh, half a dozen people, it's really hard to argue for a lot of the resources that we need as far as training and software and to be able to demonstrate the, the huge impacts that we have. And so by bringing everybody together, we were able to make some of those things more consistent and streamlined. And um, and, and one of the coolest things that we were able to do, well, there've been quite a few things, but one of the things is something that you touched on recent, earlier is the, the disparity analysis that we did. and there were very discrete decision points that we were evaluating. And so these aren't decision points that just anybody can make. It's individual people within the organization that are Mm -hmm. making a decision about a case. And so there are some that were in adult probation and some that were in juvenile probation and some that were in superior court. And historically, we would have just done all three of those entirely independently. But what we were able to do was come together and really discuss and brainstorm the right way to move forward with that analysis and to make sure that we were doing it consistently that one person wasn't going to go way far into the weeds and one person was going to keep it high level so that we could build the support and you know there's there's just a different strategy and so to come together and really be able to think through all of those different strategies about what is the way that we can get the best long-term support so that we can really get to that end goal that we're really, really looking for. Um, We were able to come together and do that. And then when we presented, we were also able to capitalize on, we've got one amazing visualization expert in one of the departments, And that person was able to share some thoughts about, well, this is how I'm going to do it. And the others would say, well, I can't really do it that way. But we were able to really dig down and say, okay, but how do we make it similar? So that as the, the viewer, the audience, the person who's got to make the decision about whether or not there is a disparity, it's very clear to them. And they don't have to cognitively have that load, that extra load of well, this one is set up like this and this one is set up like that if we can bring it all together as one holistic approach you can really see patterns across the entire organization and across the entire justice system and you can you can quickly see the similarities that we're seeing um from one decision point to to another and so that's been something that has that has really um helped us and and demonstrated really the the broad value that that we bring being a larger group and community that we can really support each other and give each other feedback and, and work through problems and ideas that even though it was there before we all existed before, we just didn't take advantage of that because we didn't necessarily feel that we had the authority to make those decisions, Mm -hmm. but we are all together. We really can make those cohesive and, and comprehensive uh, moves toward, toward that larger goal.
0: I mentioned the disparity analysis in combination with the internal department that you've developed for, for primarily a couple of different reasons. So long time ago, I was asked to be a part of a diversity disparity for a state, um, mm. hired an external you know, consultant to come in and, and, and pull all that data together and do that kind of you know analysis. And what was interesting is you're building that internally so could I make an assumption that because you're building this internally and you're having that expertise and the data sitting right there, and this is something that you're doing over and over again, you would have less need to go out and hire a consultant to come in and do that, right? Which is good, yeah. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That is definitely capacity building is one of our biggest goals with bringing these three teams together. Is to say, we let's let's show you what's possible, and when we work together, we can. Mm-hmm. Um, working individually and everything is very, very one-off, right? There's, there's a million little projects, but if we come together, we can, we can really create this bigger project and, and this bigger output. One thing that it's actually enabling us to do is to attract more universities who want to help us with that research. And so by saying, you know, we've actually got data from all three departments that we can come together and we can show how they all work together. It's, um, it's, bringing a lot more interest to provide kind of free support for us. We're not bringing consultants. They want access to this information and they want to be able to get to the bottom of it. And so we were able to set the standard and set the foundation and, you know, build the case within the organization that this is valuable and important and it's possible and it can be clean and, and quality data will be used in every part of this and, uh, and then say, And we will keep our fingers on the pulse of that, but maybe we could get some extra help that we don't have to uh, burden the taxpayers with, you know, an entire other team. Because ultimately what what we saw was that that project alone could have an ongoing three to four person research team and they never do anything else. And it would be so important and so valuable to everybody involved just to, to keep it just to keep people aware of what's happening, even without actually doing anything about it, just to be able to continue to collect. And as policies change, as legislation changes, to make sure to to adjust all of those models, to make sure that they're taking all of those things into consideration. And so um, this way has helped us to to garner even bigger and better partnerships as well.
0: See, now I'm thinking, I got my procurement hat on, you might do uh, might want to consider a cost benefit analysis so that you could show how much money you're saving by not right going up. externally. I'm just thinking of you. Yeah.
1: I love it. No, I love it. I'm writing it down. <laughs> um
0: I you know I know that when folks get together in conferences, you know we have conferences for consultants, conferences for marketing, conferences for the government, conferences are what you know you and your you know when you talk to your groups in other counties and other states are you finding that where you are is at the the head of the curve compared to what maybe some of the like you're forward thinking, you're more progressive? Because what I'm hearing so far is that that's where I'm placing you at the moment. I'm just curious how you compare yourself with your your peers.
1: So I love that question. Maricopa County is the fourth largest judicial district in the country. So we are actually bigger than 26 states population wise, and so. We are, yeah, we're pretty big in and of ourselves. So when we go to conferences, people know who Maricopa County is. It's, we're not we're a secret where there's a huge you know, group of us most of the time when we, when we go to these conferences. And there are a few other big players in that space as far as analytics goes, but not a lot because Maricopa County Superior Court might be the fourth largest general jurisdiction court, but there are thousands of municipal courts that don't have any research team there's there's not a single person who's researching it they may have their their state oversight authority usually called an AOC and administrative office of courts they might be responsible for uh collecting compliance metrics and and statistics just really usually descriptive statistics on how many are coming in how many are going out that kind of thing there are a handful of other players in that space but not too many I would say that there's um, one or two that are more technologically advanced but i don't know anybody else who's doing like the disparity analysis that we're doing i haven't talked to anybody else who's doing who's really comfortable doing those predictive analyses just yet
0: we've talked a lot about what you're doing today you know how you've built where you are some of the projects that you've been able to accomplish the statistics where where do you want to go in in you know say two three years from now how do you want to take this data and analytics and this AI cognitive, you know, technology focused group that you're building. And what do you want to accomplish next?
1: Oh my gosh, there's so much, two or three years.
0: I can see that, I can see it in your eyes. Yeah. Yes.
1: So uh, I would really like to take that predictive analytics for those high resource cases. I'd like to take it in, you know, 10 steps further. I'd like it to be in every one of the court spaces. And I'd like there to be very easy tools for people to use and understand to know which one of those cases is going to be a a high resource case. Um, You know, we have to, that's one of those areas where AI comes in and we have to be very careful with it. We're uh, regularly reminded of that, uh, what was it, the Tom Cruise movie Minority Report? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. But they predicted who would go to jail and then they just threw him in jail. And that's not at all what we want to do. We want to be very, very careful that we are never, ever, ever moving down that, that path. And, you know, there have, been, there have been organizations that have come to us and said, we can help you with your, um, with your release decisions from, you know, when, when people come in and they have an initial appearance, they are seen in front of a judge, they get to see what they are being charged with. And then there is, you know, they either get a bond or they're released on their own recognizance. So I would like to be part of what says this is the the range of typical responses, but we would never make a decision without a human judge that really makes the decision, it would be part of that decision making model. And I see that in in other areas as well. Criminal sentencing is one, but really any of the the judgments with civil judgments, um, with probate and mental health cases, you know, all of those kinds of things, it would be nice to have a resource. And there's actually been a few articles written about this, where you would probably see Uh, reduction in those disparities that we that we keep talking about if you just had a standard for what is expected now there are statutory minimums and maximums and, and guidelines but there's a lot of there's a lot of discretion between those minimums and maximums and so just knowing what has been done so far what the typical pattern is being able to identify that not predicting not saying what you should do but just saying you know this is this is Average, and this is the confidence interval for that, right? Um, Some other things that I would like to see in this space are really um, a lot more program evaluation to see how many people, uh, you know, to incorporate those cost-benefit analysis and the return on investment and to see how many of those are really, um, you know, really forcing a definition of what is success? What does that look like? And let's go ahead and measure it and make sure that we're working toward that success and make tweaks along the way. Um, I would also really like to see some more data-driven decisions around staffing and which departments are are getting what kind of support when we are asking taxpayers for hundreds of thousands of extra dollars or millions of extra dollars can we back that up with numbers and it, as well as that narrative that is that is really important to you know the, the intuition really has to work together It's not just numbers or just intuition they have to they really have to come together in the court space so that we are um, making a fully informed decision
0: So you've got a, you've got a good journey ahead of you yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> hey just as a side note for those listening um, Michelle referenced the movie Minority Report. And if you guys go and see it, we're just connecting the dots. What you see in Minority Report is not what Michelle is doing. No, I wanna make sure at that at we're all. clearly you know, articulating that because uh, now a whole bunch of people are gonna go watch it and they're gonna think, wait, Michelle said, this is what they're doing? Oh no, yeah, no, yeah. no. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> just wanna clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> as, as we start to, to wrap up our, our conversation today, do you have any lessons learned or any thoughts? I have a lot of lessons learned.
1: Um, I definitely, one thing that I've just realized is that my journey has been very self-taught. There's not a lot of chief data officers in the government space. There's not a lot of um, leadership within that government space. And so everything has been a lot of trial and error for me. And um, there's a a fine balance between uh, taking the time to explain everything that you're doing and also, just hoping that people trust what you're doing. You don't want to be condescending. You don't want to bore people, but really finding that sweet spot and, and really just asking people, what kind of information do you want or what would make you comfortable for us to be able to move forward with this? Being very clear um, about the analysis that we run as well, that our, our end user is aware of the question they are asking and what action they're going to take on that. I, I, um, I am often in a position of saying, we want you to be informed, but we're not here for entertainment per se, right? It's not just like, oh, that's interesting. And then I'm going to move on with my life. What action are you actually to take as a result of the analysis that we are doing? What what will actually change because of this? And, um, And so really, really keeping it action oriented, I think would be something else that I wish I had been able to articulate better early on.
0: Specifically, you mentioned within your journey that it's self-taught and I I wanted to kind of focus on that first before we we leave. Early on in your career, yeah, there were some people, you know, doing data science type work but chief data officer wasn't there. A formalized role of data science really wasn't there. A lot of the things that you were doing with these groups were a bunch of people working together. I mean, I I think what, I just wanna clearly, you know, focus on that a little bit more, because I think nowadays, um, I just read recently, there is now a chief data officer certification program that's a year long at one of these uh, top, you know, top 20 schools. Yeah, I think it's Carnegie Mellon. Is it? I was, I thought it was, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. I saw that. That looks so exciting.
1: And I know, I want to go do I it. Saw, I thought the same thing. When I said, I was like, can I do that? Is it remote? Does it fit into my <laughs> schedule? I don't think it does, but yeah, I would love, I would love to see what they have to say. And um, it's, it has been a little bit lonely. So probably bringing these three groups together into the one larger group was a little self-serving because I wanted to be able to really work with these other leaders who had been in the space for quite a while. Um, and, and I can definitely see it in the tenure that I've had that, that data is taking on a very different role than it ever would have before. And I'm happy to be part of, of moving that forward, um, but I want more. I definitely want to see even more focus on what data can do and what value it can really provide. And um, I'm I'm really, I've been looking for a lot of that subject matter expertise as far as the courts are concerned and what needs they are facing. And in the last year or so, I've really started focusing more on the analytics space and what the technology is right now that is available and how do you really build that data culture and what kind of support do you need and what kind of what what kind of technologies are available for visualization and warehousing and data fabrics and and so really uh, diving deep into into the analytics space has been really interesting. And there's a whole new group of leaders to follow now. And so that's, I'll I'll give a little plug for Wilda, just being able to uh, meet so many people that really have great insights and have already fought those fights. So you could just reach out to them and, and find out, well, how did you fix this? Or what do you think of this problem? And there's really just a wealth of knowledge out there that, um,
0: Maybe I don't have
1: in my own organization for myself. Uh, I am that leader for others, and I'm glad to be that leader. But to know that even outside of my organization, I've got a, a group of people that I can reach out to, and and uh, and that knowledge can trickle down to the rest of my team is is really exciting.
0: I would be very interested because I think, you know, as you've talked about your journey, you've you've done a lot in a in a period of time, but just listening to you now, I'm, I'm thinking that in a year from now, you're gonna be doubling your journey. Your journey is gonna go so much faster. You're gonna get so much further ahead in this next year than say you've been able to do in the last three years. I would love to come back in a year from now and talk about what have you done? What have you learned and get some more insights from you? That would be great. I would love to, thank oh, you. Cool. Good. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know this was pretty much the middle of the day for you. Um, Not a problem. It was
1: well worth it. Thank you so much for having me.